Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's LaMarvelous. Thank you, guys. What is up, you guys? It is Jake here for another uh, solo venture here as we get into the second part of our 2020 wrapped episode that's going to be covering the show's highlights from June up until now, uh, basically where we're at at the end of the year. Hope you guys had a great Christmas and are uh, gearing up for what's hopefully going to be a fun New Year's, New Year's Eve type situation in whatever way we're able to celebrate it right now with COVID going on. And uh, yeah, without further ado, just going to kind of jump into it here. Got a, a jam-packed show for you guys looking back on some of these highlights Starting up first with uh, our boy, Coach Anthony Ronaldo, the offensive coordinator at Boys Latin High School in the MIAA here in Maryland. Uh, one of the more kind of random, fun interviews that we wound up doing. He was a friend of Spencer's growing up. I didn't really know him until we did the interview, but uh, great dude. He and I uh, wound up developing a good rapport. I'm, I'm pretty fond of him and uh, the work that he and uh, the guys over at uh, the Lakers program are doing right now. So wanted to throw this in here, a little bit of a uh, high school football in Maryland talk from our guy, Anthony Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a story, and it sounds like uh, you got a real unique perspective, I would say, because you're a younger guy, obviously, but it sounds like you've been a lot of different places. You really cut your teeth. How would you, with that perspective, describe what the state of high school football in Maryland and with the MIAA specifically is right now? Yeah, so um, being being a college coach at the scholarship level, it's neat because we have access to all these kind of different resources, nationwide recruiting, essentially. And, um, you know, you have... The, the best football athletes in the country coming out of places like Texas, Florida. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of really good football in the Midwest, pocketed too. But the DMV in itself is a football mecca. Like there is insanely good football here. And I would say in the past like half decade, that's become like a pretty like well-known thing in most like college football staff rooms. So um, like the talent level is unreal. Like, um, just from like when I started coaching it, like comparatively to like what, like the level of football that I had seen, like, you know, where I played, where I'm from, I was like, oh my God, this is a totally different level. And that's exactly what it is. And it's not just in the MIAA, it's also in the WCAC with a lot of the Washington Catholic teams. Of course. Um, it's, it's in Northern Virginia. 
Um, it's just a different breed of athlete here. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, social economic implications there of like what makes like the average like high schooler here different than high schoolers other places. Um, you know, and it sounds like cliche, but like athletics is a giant quote unquote way out for, for a lot of these amazing young men. And, you know, that it goes back to why recruiting is so competitive at the high school level. Um, you know, it's because everybody wants, wants piece of the action. There's all these youth programs. They're just chock full of future stars, man. So um, I guess to answer your question, um, athletes have never been bigger, faster, stronger than today, you know, and it's really cool uh, competing against them and recruiting them and coaching with them. Really hope you guys enjoyed that clip with uh, Anthony. And if you haven't listened to that episode, be sure to go back and check it out. He's a really interesting dude, bursting with energy, just kind of that perfect sort of high school coach uh, type dynamic that he brings. I really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully going to get him back on here pretty soon. I was talking to him recently and it uh, seems like he's doing well. So I'd love to make that happen. Next up is going to be our guy, Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, uh, a highlight of him hopping on with us. Back in June, I uh, wanted to get him on to discuss basically the state of the offseason, get a little bit of a retrospective look at the Ravens draft uh, a few months after the fact. Connor's always good to hop on with us for a little bit. Really, really nice guy in that regard and always makes time for us. So really appreciate it and wanted to include this question that we had for him that uh, sort of pertained to this year in particular, in particular with how he approaches his job as a draft analyst for the media uh, with the way that quarantine had worked and he couldn't really attend the combine and like do all these different things. So, you know, just wanted to kind of get that unique perspective from him on how this year had played out. And I think he gives a really thoughtful answer. So here's Connor Rogers on all of that. Um, looking back at an inter interspective standpoint, how have you learned about yourself as a draft analyst through this unique process? Would you say, is there anything that you can kind of look back now as a whole and say, you know, I learned blank this year? That's a great question. I think that I've learned to trust myself, actually, which is, it sounds like really dumb when you think about it. Like I'm 28 years old. By now you should feel, you know, somewhat confident in your work or confident in your findings. And I think there was a period of time where uh, when I was really young that I was almost unjustifiably confident in a sense where I, that was leading to a lot of misses that should not happen. But you're young, you learn process, right? And it's not like I came from a family of football coaches or football scouts where those processes were taught to me when I was 17 or 18. Instead, those processes were being taught to me more when I was, you know, 22 and 23. So I think there's that side of it. And then there's also the side of it where you become so unsure and you might rely on, you know, talking to coaches and scouts and hearing their opinion. And then you go, wow, I actually think that must be right. I think there's a middle ground in between those two. And I think I've become really uh, better at, you know, consuming and digesting information and being able to form an opinion that I stand on where I might watch a player and watch his film and then have a good sense of what he's going to do at the combine. There's always people I'm going to talk to that have had, you know, either done school checks or, or character interviews. I unfortunately get to do plenty of interviews of my own. Love talking to all these players. And and then you might talk to a coach and they go, man, that, like I sucked. Like we don't even have him as draftable and you have him in the second or third round. I think you need to digest maybe why that coach doesn't like him, right? Like maybe that player doesn't fit in their scheme at all and they just write him off right away while you look at it and go, there's a lot of ways to do this, right? And, and I think it could tie down to somebody like Lamar Jackson. There were plenty of, and it's, you know, everybody knows this, but there were plenty of people in the media uh, that are credible people 
that forget the whole wide receiver thing, but they were wondering, you know, or questioned Lamar Jackson's ability to grow as a passer. And is there a coaching scheme out there, a coaching system, a coaching fit out there that can use his running ability while growing as a passer? I think we've seen that over the last two years. That's one example of a million, but I think I've, I've done a better job understanding with myself, you know, is there a home for the player? Uh, will the league, you know, use this player's skill set in the modern NFL? And why are you standing on the table for that player in that spot? So it just getting cleaning up your own process every year. I, I feel like this year was one of those years where I was like, wow, I, I feel like I finally have my footing and, and can make major strides where I could scout, you know, instead of ranking 150 players, I have a process in place where by myself, I can rank 200 players. And then hopefully next year, that number grows to 250, maybe 300, depending on my schedule, how much travel I have to do this year and things like that. I think that's something that's really exciting to me. Always great to hear from Connor. And I think that is some really good sort of introspective stuff that uh, you don't always get uh, from the media members. It feels like there's a you know, if not bluster, then people kind of play their cards a little bit closer to the vest as far as kind of their personal or even just professional life goes. Connor's a pretty open guy, super nice dude, and we've uh, been lucky enough to be uh, pretty friendly with him over the years with him uh, coming on the show and helping us out. So great to hear from him. Uh, definitely Switching Gears is uh, an episode that uh, we did back in June, near the end of June, uh, discussing uh, the, the controversy, the ongoing will-they-won't-they they Will they sign Antonio Brown uh, situation? So that was kind of an interesting one to look back on, particularly with uh, what's going on with Brown since. Been relatively quiet, but he signed with the Bucks. He's maybe had incidents here and there. Just scored his first touchdown back in the NFL uh, for them the other day. So I thought it was interesting to look back on this uh, little Antonio Brown debate that we had. I just don't think that bringing him in initially, like that, this is the fuzzy part. If they bring him in, you saw what he did with the Raiders. He fucking brought the helicopter. So here's so I so I prepped for this a little bit. So play a little game. Antonio Brown headlines is what the game is called. Okay. So I've got about twelve headlines here. I think it's around twelve. First one. I love this. December thirty first, two thousand eighteen, and this is from the Washington Post. Report. Antonio Brown was benched after dispute with Ben Roethlisberger. So this is from the article. Reports Monday claimed Brown was benched following a dispute with Pittsburgh quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. According to Jason LaConfora of CBS Sports, the altercation with Roethlisberger was fairly ugly and Brown was said to be totally in the wrong. Number two. February 12th, 2019 from CBS Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown found guilty in speeding incident, ordered to pay fine. The NFL wide receiver was cited after being pulled over for driving in excess of 100 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour zone on McKnight Road in Ross Township in November 8th, 2018. Shout out to any Pittsburgh listeners, if there are any. We love you. Three, February 12th, 2019. Antonio Brown tweets goodbye. Time to move on. March 13th. 2019, from Sports Illustrated, Steelers trade wide receiver Antonio Brown to the Raiders. A winner, winners and losers piece from NFL.com lists Brown, Mike Mayock and John Gruden, Las Vegas season ticket holders, Derek Carr as the winners. They listed Steelers GM Kevin Colbert, 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 uh, Colbert. as the loser, among others. 
August 9th, 2019 from ESPN. Sources, AB says no football without old helmet. Of course, this is all taking place as he is dealing with a foot injury after burning his feet in cryotherapy. So here's from the article from Adam Schefter. Brown wants to wear the helmet he prefers, not one of the newer model helmets that league rules mandate. League sources said Brown believes the new certified helmet protrudes out and interferes with his vision as he tries to catch the football. Gotta hate that protruded vision. The Raiders have been sending Brown other approved helmets to wear, but at this time he is not interested in wearing any any of them. Just not interested. Brown appeared to refer to an internal debate about walking away from football by posting Friday an Instagram caption paraphrasing the 2002 movie Paid in Full. Never seen it. Going to have to check that out. League sources also told ESPN that Brown's recent absence from Raiders training camp has more to do with his helmet than with his feet. So that's where the whole cryotherapy thing comes into play. September 6th, 2019, from Bleacher Report. Report, Antonio Brown called Raiders Mike Mayock a cracker during altercation. See if I have anything for that. Oakland Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown reportedly began and escalated Wednesday's altercation with Mike Mayock. According to Josina Anderson of ESPN, Brown approached Mayock to complain about a recent fine, I guess that's for the helmet, before calling him a cracker and using a barrage of cuss words directed at the first-year GM. A team source said Mayock walked away because he saw it escalate while other players held Brown back. September 7th, 2019, from Bleacher Report. Antonio Brown released by Raiders after fine for Mayock incident voids contract. So Antonio Brown's Oakland Raiders career ended with zero games played as the franchise released the seven-time Pro Bowler on Saturday. Brown requested his release Saturday morning in a post on Instagram. A lot of Instagram takes going on here. After the Raiders voided the guarantees in his contract by fining him over $215,000 for conduct detrimental to the team following an altercation with ESPN or with general manager Mike Mayock per Adam Schefter of ESPN. He promptly signs with the Patriots. I think, what was that, like within that week or so? Yes. So he signs with the Patriots, plays in week two against Miami. He played a game and he at scored. This point, at this point, pause. At this point, uh, oh my God, he's a genius. He got. Yeah, this was, I remember I wanted to bring this up because I remember you were talking about him like he was this like mad scientist. And I was like, I don't know, dude. Like he just seems like kind of an unhinged like personality at this point. Yes. Go, keep, keep. So he plays in that game. He scores a touchdown. September 10th, 2019. This is from the New York Times. Do you remember what we were doing this day? This night, I should say. September 10th, 2019. It was after the Dolphins game. No. We were, this was when we were interviewing Will Brinson. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, 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 yes. So yes. September 10th, 2019 from the, the failing New York Times. Antonio Brown accused of rape in a lawsuit. So we were, for anyone that doesn't know the backstory, for any long-time listeners that do in fact remember that interview we did with Will Brinson of CBS Sports, who is awesome, awesome dude. We're literally in the middle of chatting with him and he just kind of nonchalantly drops. We, I think we were talking about Antonio Brown and he just nonchalantly drops like, and yeah, I don't know if you guys are seeing, but there's something not so great leaking about Antonio Brown on Twitter. And I think we were both so locked in into like interview mode that neither of us really looked at it right away. And then we like looked at it. Oh, and- you were, you were, you and Will were still engaging in a question 
and said that and I looked it up and then I privately messaged you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, my God, this A buff is insane. And then you looked at it and you were like, Will, you need some time, dude? Because like we have Danny writes for NFL.com. And he was like, he's like, guys, I'll be back in an hour or two. This is huge. Like, blah, blah, blah. So he like gets off, hops off, crushes an article, gets back on with us, which was so nice of him. He didn't have to do that. Yeah, it was great. And there's no like discernible cut in the interview. I think we might have mentioned that that happened. But uh, in case we did not, yeah, there's your story on that. The Will Brinson interview was technically a two-parter because he had to write up the Antonio Brown uh, rape lawsuit allegation. story for, yeah, allegation lawsuit, whatever, for CBS Sports. Right. Uh, September 20th, 2019, the failing New York Times again. Antonio Brown is released by the New England Patriots. So the New England Patriots released Antonio Brown on Friday afternoon, ending his brief but turbulent tenure with the team as the NFL was investigating him for multiple accusations of inappropriate sexual behavior, including rape. The New England Patriots are releasing Antonio Brown. The team said in a statement, we appreciate the hard work of many people over the past 11 days, but we feel that it is best to move in a different direction at this time. Kathy Lanier, the NFL's chief of security, met on Friday with an unnamed woman, so this is different than the previous accusation, who said she endured unwelcome sexual advances from Brown two years ago. This week, the woman accused the wide receiver of sending her texts she found intimidating, which you can actually go back and find those texts. I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot of them and they are somewhat disturbing. Uh, but yeah, and I think that is all we have. Oh, wait, no, we got some more. So 10th headline, January 13th, 2020 from the Miami Herald. This is a fun one. Former NFL star Antonio Brown waved a bag of D blank blank KS at cops. So I'm guessing he, he was waving a bag of ducks or something at the cops and uh, right. just things just really escalated. So in this one, NFL free agent Antonio Brown was back in the news as he cursed out and shook a bag of penis-shaped gummies, so not ducks, at Hollywood police on Monday following an altercation with his ex-girlfriend. So I think this is the one where he's like filming himself screaming at the cops about his like Bentley or whatever. Hollywood police said that they have had enough with Brown and his disrespectful behavior and have returned his check and forbade him from working with their kids program. Interesting to be doing business with him in that respect, even at the time. The most recent incident started Monday morning when Brown streamed a live video on Instagram of him talking derisively to Hollywood police. He complained about a woman who the New York Post reported is his ex, Chelsea Kyrus, blocking his driveway and trying to make off with his Bentley. I actually took some of the video. I'm not going to play it. It's pretty weird. Uh, January 23rd, 2020, second to last one, or last one actually, it's from Business Insider. Police say Antonio Brown has locked himself in his home after an alleged battery incident involving his trainer and a moving truck driver. After the movers arrived, a disturbance occurred between the driver, Brown, and Brown's trainer, police said. On Wednesday night, the police issued an arrest warrant for Brown, saying he faces charges of burglary with battery, burglary, or burglary of an unoccupied conveyance, and criminal mischief, according to ESPN. According to court documents by TMZ, police say... Brown threw a rock at the moving truck, refused to cover the cost of the damage, then physically struck the driver. On June 12, 2020, so that's pretty recently, he pled no contest to all charges excepting two years probation. So that's all I had as far as headlines. There's probably more. But essentially, I just wanted to bring a little prep into this and read that out because there was a lot of gray area on Twitter today. I think I saw MD Law so hard talking about this a little bit about how, like, if you're going to criticize him, like, don't bring up, like, domestic violence allegations. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, I 
I probably wasn't making that argument, but just to clarify a little bit why I'm still a little skeeved out by this whole thing and uh, not especially interested in the Antonio Brown experience, that's just like a handful of things that have happened over the past probably two years at this point with him. And uh, that's just kind of my feelings on it. Yeah, it's just it. It's a situation that just completely skeeves me out, weirds me out. I'm not into it. Um, I hope for his sake and for the sake of people in his lives, he has gotten his shit together. It kind of seems like he's been a little quieter as far as the uh, news cycle has gone. Uh, We've covered a little bit of it recently with him working out with Lamar in Hollywood. That's totally fine with me. I think I said at the time, uh, I don't mind them hanging out, uh, especially in a professional respect. I think he could learn a lot from him. But, uh, yeah, man, just a weird situation, and uh, I have no interest in them signing him pretty much for all of those reasons. So a little bit of a uh, different speed there, obviously recapping that whole Antonio Brown saga. I hope you guys enjoyed listening back to that. Uh, It's weird and kind of, like I I said a couple times there, skeeved out by that whole situation. Uh, I was. It was kind of fun to pull those headlines and revisit the insanity that has been the Antonio Brown experience over the last couple of years. And listen, kudos to him. I mean, he signed with the Buccaneers, really hasn't made much noise off the field. There was maybe an incident with some security guard in like a neighborhood in Tampa or something, which, you know, of course there had to be something, but uh, compared to the other stuff that he's been getting into recently, it's, you know, fairly tame. So whatever, I'm done with it. Um, Moving on from that, getting up into August uh, was another interview that we had. It was a, my chat with uh, my guy Dave Ruff over at Wash Media, um, big Cowboys fan, Spencer and I uh, have, you know, obviously joked, also kind of not really joking about how much we love the Cowboys. We think it's kind of a, uh, we think they're a funny sort of fun franchise to follow from afar. And uh, talking to Dave uh, in that respect uh, for that reason and also the fact that I'm just a huge fan of his and uh, what he and his guys are doing out there in Austin, Texas, uh, it, it was a really fun chat, so. Some people might have skipped over that one. I know it was a little out of the blue, but uh, saw an opportunity, jumped on it, and uh, it was really fun, like, hour or so that I did with Dave uh, on August 3rd, I believe the date says here. So if you skip that one, I'd recommend going back to it if you have some time because it was really fun and gives uh, some perspective on what it's like to root for maybe the uh, craziest franchise in the NFL. So here's a little bit of my chat with Dave to give you guys a uh, primer on that. Me and my co-host Spencer, we're big fans of the whole spectacle surrounding the Cowboys. I think we... uh, more than anything, the fact that we're here in Baltimore, which is kind of like in the heart of NFC East territory a little bit, you got like Philly and New York to the Northeast, DC is obviously right there. So, you know, a lot of Skins fans, and I've trolled a lot of them in my lifetime rooting for the Cowboys. So how would you kind of sum up your relationship with the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, you know, um, so I was born in 84. So I was, you know, eight years old when they won their first Super Bowl. So 92, 93, then 95, right? And my dad was really, really into the team. I, I think, I'm not kidding, I think he cried when they fired Jimmy. And I, I, I'm dead serious. I, I'm almost positive he did. Um, and I remember watching all those games and just being heartbroken when they lost uh, – when it was, you know, clear that the dynasty was over. So you remember, you remember those early Super Bowls then? I genuinely, yeah, I do. A lot of people say they do. I, I really do. I can remember, you know, the onside kick against the Steelers uh, that they pulled at the uh, beginning of the second half. And I think, not sure which Super Bowl that was, but like, I just have these memories of it. And I, we went to the parade. Um, We went to the parade, the, the, I think it was the first year and there was a riot and guys were getting their chains yanked off because they were in the convertibles and, the crowd went crazy, saw some fights, but so many yeah, nuts dude, hanging I, off trucks. I love I the team. 
So many nuts mm-hmm. hanging off Sorry, trucks. Go ahead. So many like nuts hanging off the back of the trucks or whatever you call that. Yeah, just a lot of F three fifties. Oh yeah, just rolling just carrying the boys. Yeah, we uh, yeah, it's funny because for me, like I was born in ninety five, so like the Ravens like won their first in two thousand, and I like remember the game, but like nothing really else about that season or anything. So they obviously got another one eight years ago at this point. So that's kind of the one I more associate with. But that's fascinating that you remember all three of those. That's kind of an interesting life of a Cowboys fan. Most of the ones that I know don't have any like recollection of that. So that's pretty cool. But I guess we're coming up on the, I guess 95 was the last one, right? So we're coming up on the anniversary, 25 years of it. Is mm. And like I said, we're in the middle of NFC East country here. Is that like the whole like Cowboys haven't got it done in forever? Is that a thing that you still let bother you at all? Or is it just sort of whatever at this point? Yeah, no, it it, it definitely, uh, there is some, a lot of hopeless years, like a lot. Like if you look at they, uh, how many quarterbacks they went through in the early to mid to that 2000s, like up until they found Romo, uh, you know, we were running out Quincy Carter, Chad Hutchison, uh, Vinny, was it Testaverde or Bernie Kozart? Well, it was I think just he a, was, yeah, I think you had Testaverde, you had uh, Anthony Wright, I think, for a couple games, which he was big in Baltimore oh, yeah. for a little while too, so I, I was definitely keeping an eye on that. Just a time I had guy, high hopes for him. He was, like, I went back, and we're doing, like, a rewatchable thing. Nobody else is doing that, where we go back and rewatch old games, and uh, one of them was an Anthony Wright playoff game in, like, 2003, where they, like, lost to the Jeff Fisher Titans at home on a Morton Anderson or Gary Anderson kick from like 46 yards, which was kind of a tough watch, but Anthony Wright, a fun watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was a Romo guy. Um, you know, I, I defended him. I, I, the same thing. I'm the same with Dak. I defend Dak. Um, it's, it, it's just been tough, man. And I'm, I'm so glad we got Garrett out of there. I'm sure you're going to ask me about that next, but like, he's a nice dude. He's a smart guy. I like him as a person. It's just, Dude, what was he there for? He made it nine years and like did absolutely nothing. And I don't need, I'm not the type who's like, oh, we need a Super Bowl or bust. I just want a deep playoff run. Give me an NFC championship. Right. That's it. So there's just a small glimpse of a really fun hour long chat that I had with Dave uh, talking Cowboys, talking Ravens, talking Browns, Baker Mayfield, sort of all things. So I really recommend going back to that if you skipped it or uh, if you're a new listener, because that was a fun one. And I'd also check out what Dave is doing. Uh, with Washed Media, check out the Circling Back podcast, Too Much Dip podcast for sports. Those guys are really awesome. So uh, I, I thank Dave a ton for coming on uh, when he did. And uh, now uh, moving on to what is probably uh, the highlight of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast in 2020. Uh, obviously, our interview with uh, Ed Reed um, being able to kind of fly as the, uh, the, the co-pilot there for Kyle. Uh, he got invited to do an interview with Ed via Snickers. So I think he initially was maybe thinking that he would just sort of do it as a written thing. Uh, I jumped in there, offered to produce it for him, make it a podcast episode. So uh, all, all the thanks in the world to Kyle for allowing me to do so, you know, even getting a, getting a couple shots in there of my own. Uh, I, I, I kind of had to because when you have that opportunity to uh, talk to Ed Reed, you take it. So uh, you hear me a little bit in that, but it's mostly Kyle's interview. And uh, if you're a new listener, I'd recommend going back to uh, our episode in August uh, or September, I, I believe. Yeah, September 4th. So September 4th, 2020, our chat with Ed Reed. He gave us some uh, really good stuff for a short interview. I think we only had him for like 15, 20 minutes, but he gave us some great answers. Uh, And in particular, Kyle did a great job asking him about uh, winning the Super Bowl uh, at long last, Super Bowl 47, and sort of that picture of him holding the Lombardi trophy. He gave a really awesome answer that got picked up by a couple different sites. And uh, 
yeah, this interview was a ton of fun to be a part of. It was a ton of fun to sort of bask in the glory of it after the fact. It it got us a lot of burn as a website, so really proud of this and uh, glad that I got to be a part of it and glad that we got to run it on our airwaves. So here is a, a little snippet of our chat with Ed Reed. Yeah. You mentioned uh, playing for that championship. Uh, your final season with the Ravens resulted in you holding that Lombardi trophy. Uh, thousands of Ravens fans, their favorite sports photo is you holding that trophy, staring at it with the confetti raining down. Can you describe what you were feeling in that moment? Man. <sighs> Heaven must be like this. You know, it's a song that comes to mind. Um, it's a feeling that comes to mind because that's got to be the ultimate, like walking through the pearly gates. Um, I, how, how, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something for you, like the next couple of seconds. How do you go from being born in New Orleans to playing in the Superdome the day before, two days before Katrina hit? The last team to play in the Superdome, after before like before Katrina, the first team to play in the Superdome in the Super Bowl after Katrina with the Baltimore Ravens. That that feeling, man, I don't really think people can really grasp being from a city and going back and playing there. I don't think I can really describe that much more than that, man. It was a blessing, man, like no other. Like, if you don't know nothing about me in this life, just know I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, he was good, man. This man played in the Superdome in his backyard, man. I, I couldn't thank God enough, man. Like, I still can't, you know, and that's what that picture was like, like me looking like, like really this happened like and it was so many more factors to it man but that that was the ultimate feeling you it's hard to describe that man without even getting emotional about it you know because it's like i said there's a lot of factors into that to that moment man so obviously our chat with ed was a uh, a real high point it was a ton of fun you could hear uh just sort of the the cadre of emotions that uh he and we were feeling there uh Hopping on that interview with him, talking about some uh, some really good times. If you actually go back and listen and listen to that interview, he uh, he also uh, discusses some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, and this was near the end of the summer, kind of coming off of the summer where there was a lot of sort of racial unrest and injustice, and that's something that Ed in particular is really passionate about. So he he dishes on a lot of that as much as he does a lot of the fun football stuff too. So it's a pretty nuanced, interesting, uh, cool interview that he gave us, and. Uh, like I said, that's going to be a, a highlight of my career no matter what I'm doing for the rest of my life, and uh, it was a ton of fun. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. And uh, we had, you know, many of many fun moments on this podcast, that being chief among them. Also some tough ones, uh, in particularly in relation to losses. So the Ravens, uh, fast-forwarding a bit here, started out 2-0. They were looking really good. Uh, I was feeling it a little bit. Uh, the Chiefs were coming to town for a primetime matchup. Uh, I was pretty jacked up, and I had the feeling that they were going to get it done finally against Kansas City, get that close win. We all know it didn't work out like that. The Chiefs came into uh, Baltimore and curb stomped the Ravens and put them right back into their place, and uh, they've kind of been dealing with the after effects of that loss a little bit ever since. But uh, 
you know, if nothing else, it made for some great content. And uh, Kyle and I hopped on right after that game, uh, had a nice episode, nice little therapy session. And uh, I got some stuff off my chest uh, on that episode, which is from September 29th and is aptly titled Pain. Yeah, and I mean, before we discuss that any further, we do have, I want to talk to you on JM chiming into the comments here, in all caps, of course. Uh, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He is the only way you can get to heaven. Without him, you will go to hell. We are all sinners. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins. As an Irish Catholic person, God bless you, sir, and thank you for your service. Where is this in the chat? Oh, my goodness. It's in the comments. Do you see it? That's, no, it's not pulling up on mine. It might just be maybe I only get the spams, but it's kind of sick. Good, good for him. I like listen. That puts all this into perspective a little bit. Who cares about a stupid football game? <laughs> the oh, Chiefs, like Patrick oh. Mahomes. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Let me tell you about my guy Jesus Christ. He can walk on water. Can you do that, Patrick Mahomes? I don't think so. God, after tonight, you might think he does. You yeah, yeah, yeah. You might think so with all the Mahomes synths that are on Twitter. Like, oh, yeah, look how good this guy is. Oh, sick take, bro. Okay, yeah, I bro, bet you were bro, saying that before okay. the 2017 draft. No, okay, nobody was. Nobody fucking was, by the way. Nobody was. No one, except for Chris Sims, by the way. <laughs> Shout out to my guy, Chris Sims. I'm a big fan of his. He was a big Mahomes guy. He turned me on to him. I was a Mahomes fan before that draft. Nobody else was. And now I hate him, by the way. It's come full circle. I hate the guy. I hate the Chiefs. I hate the stupid simps that go at, you know, try to fawn around him and join in on the Chiefs bandwagon. Like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's fun. It's like rooting for fucking Steph Curry in 2018. A lot of fun, I bet. Pisses me off, you know? The soapboxes we're getting on tonight is going to be great. Listen. Um, would Would you rather turn water into wine or turn a possible strip sack into a 40-yard first down backbreaker on third and 14, though. Like, in this, Yeah, in this case, maybe just one play from Matthew Judon would have, would have you know, been Or Tyus Bowser, you know, just yeah, inches yeah, away Not to from single anybody that. out, so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's so hard, and I understand, and I understand that, like, I at no point will have any of the athleticism or playmaking ability of any of these guys or a bank account like these guys, but you're inches from it, and I understand... It's so hard, but you just you're the guys. You're the you're on the field for a reason. You can do it. I've seen them capable of doing it. Oh. I think that probably is the difference, weirdly, is I like the Chiefs don't lose off, often, but I think when they lost to the Colts, I think Houston was making some plays uh for the Colts, weirdly against the Chiefs, which was pretty sick last year. Uh they lost to the Titans. I didn't watch a ton of that game, but I, I just feel like the only way to do it is to get in his grill and to finish plays against him. And it's just impossible to do with the way that he's Four able to. Yeah, with the way that he's able Joey to. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, you got to get those guys in there. Yeah, you got to you, you got to get in his face. That, like you said, get in his grill. There's no other way to beat him. It's just like every cliche of of beating Tom Brady, of beating Peyton Manning. What's the way to beat these guys? It's not with cornerbacks and safeties. It's not with linebackers. It's with getting four dudes that are bigger and scarier and angrier than them, and you get them in their grill. So that's your sort of early season check-in at where the Ravens were at, right around that sort of quarter pole of the season. Next up is going to be sort of a uh, halfway point type deal. A uh, little little snippet uh, with our chat with now friend of the show, Gabrielle, Gabby DePaula, who, who could possibly say what her name is. But uh, Gabby, you know, 105.7, uh, the fan reporter, uh, she does a really great job covering the team. And uh, 
get some uh, some good access to these guys, and uh, we thought it would be good to get her on eventually. Managed to do that uh, in the lead-up to that first Steelers week when both teams were looking really good, and this was looking like it was going to be a, a really good series. Obviously, it didn't wind up working out that way because Pittsburgh stole that first win uh, in Baltimore, and then the Ravens couldn't really feel the team that second time around. So I think the rivalry kind of has disappointed from that perspective uh, so far this year. We'll see what happens as far as the playoffs go. Maybe they'll meet up again at some point. I think uh, a lot of people might be hoping that'll happen, at least on the Ravens side of things, to maybe exact some uh, revenge, hopefully. But uh, yeah, uh, in light of the fact that these teams are both looking very different right now, I think looking back on that uh, sort of midseason matchup between the two when they were looking like heavyweights is pretty interesting. So to talk about that, we have uh, Gabby DePaula coming up right now. We did want to get you on for that reason. And you're somebody who's kind of squarely in the mix with the team and they're coming off their bye week, heading into definitely the biggest game of the year, I think, so far. I mean, other than that Kansas City game, which wound up not being very big. So I'm curious mm-hmm. how you would, like, describe the sort of atmosphere surrounding the team after, like, really six hard-fought games. Yeah, well, you know what? It's just been kind of weird because the offense hasn't been clicking. The defense, like, they're doing okay, but there's some things that are still missing. Like, you know, Marcus Peters really has been off a little bit. Marlon Humphrey's been doing great, but there's still something that's still off. And I think, like, right now, they're still trying to figure that out. And we're hoping, you know, Lamar said earlier today, which I'm sure you guys heard the conferences, that Lamar said that um, during the bye week that he worked with his offense to see how it was, or to kind of get get that chemistry back. But for this game, Pernell McPhee kind of said, like, yeah, of course, like, this is going to be a hard-fought battle. And Jimmy Smith said the same thing. He said, this is going to be a hard-fought battle. It always is, no matter what. No matter what the records are, it's always a really hard um, game for both of them to play. And especially, I feel like, this year, too, because they're both really good teams. Last year, you know, the Steelers, like, they lost Ben, and they were kind of going right. back and forth with quarterbacks, and they lost a couple other players. And right. So it really, it, I felt like last year, it didn't really feel like a rivalry because... Not the, the typical Steelers, juice. We didn't have the typical juice. Yeah. And, like, the Ravens were just doing, doing so well. It was, the Steelers were kind of like, let's just get through this game healthy. Like, who cares about the rivalry? Because we just want to get through it healthy. This year, undefeated team, and then the Ravens only lost one game. Who is going to win the battle? So I think this year is more of a battle because they're both really good teams. So fun chat with Gabby right there, chopping up that uh, Steelers game. And uh, for our last one here, uh, could have done a number of things, but uh, wanted to kind of ended on what I think is uh, another major, major highlight of the year, probably the most jubilant post-game recording that I can remember in two years of doing this podcast. And there have been some big wins uh, since I've started doing it. So this was uh, a massive one. And obviously that was uh, just, you know, last week or so, uh, Monday Night Football, Ravens at Cleveland taking on the Browns, winning 47 to 42. Uh, Just that sort of ping-pong fourth quarter feeling that you had going on. Uh, it just felt like a game that the Ravens could have lost three different times, and it definitely felt like they were going to. But in the end, they pulled it out, and uh, we're in the midst of a run here that it might help sort of define their season if they can turn things around a little bit and uh, hopefully make the playoffs here. So that was a really fun recording. Here's just a, a small snippet of that. Uh, if you haven't listened to the full thing, I would highly recommend it because it was uh, probably the most fun, like I've said, recording after a game as Spencer and I have had while doing this. So uh, here's a little bit of that, and uh, I will talk to you guys on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I thought he was going to miss it, I'll be honest. Like, and I called it, I called a Tucker game winner. Like, you, you know, did, you did, you did. You've wanted that for a long time and you got it. Lest we forget, you know, it would have been, 
I was calling for a 24-23 final score, so we're about 20 points beyond that. Uh, by the way, 47-42 for a mother-effing scorigami. So that's pretty tight. Good teams win, great teams cover. And great teams get the scorigami. And, yeah, I, you know, I felt like we were overdue for that Tucker game. We really hadn't had one this year. I thought he was going to miss it. 55 yards in Cleveland. Trash field tonight. I don't know what the hell was going on. If Baker in his little progressive commercial was dicking around with the grass with his lawnmower, a lot of people getting that meme off. That was really funny. But Lamar having issues with his cleats, all these other players are slipping and sliding around. It's like, man, can he get his foot down and like get get his leg through that thing all the way for a 55-yarder, which we were talking about the wind being a narrative pregame. Didn't really seem to be, but like when you're off Lake Erie in the middle of the country in this time of year, feels like it's going to be a problem at least to some extent. Just like, you know, I don't want to say never in doubt because he kind of you know, flirted a little bit there, but it snuck into that bottom left corner. Um, that's my favorite game winner. He kicked right? that with the wind. It was blowing. It was blowing a little bit across left, and he uh, he curled that with it, let the wind kind of take it across. And, I mean, that ball was fucking beautiful. It's my, favorite, really, ga- it's my favorite game winner of his since Denver 10 years ago. Yeah. Yep. Especially because that even – the Denver one was what, like 40, 47, 47. Yeah. That's like, that's a long one. It's a tough one, but in Cleveland, windy fucking night hasn't, I don't think he, he didn't kick a field goal all night until that point. Am I wrong? I think it was just touchdowns and extra points mm-hmm. and comes in end of the game. You know, it's like had a, had one blocked, had an extra point blocked, had, had a miss last week from short. He hasn't been relied upon that much. Like, he hasn't been a huge factor in, in what the Ravens do the way that he used to be. And him just throwing up gang signs coming off the field was just inevitable. I know looked it. I, I did what I did at the Super Bowl. These moments, I, I turn away, cover my ears, cover my eyes. I don't hear, I don't see. And I look up at my mom and, and she gives me a thumbs up. And I was like, <laughs> let's go. I was afraid that I was going to wake the, uh, the folks up. I assume my dad was maybe watching um in their bedroom like but they safely watching in the dark they had both retired to the chambers but uh i don't know if he wakes up and this thing's on the dvr he's got himself a little bit of a roller coaster <laughs> um but i mean it was literally it was shakespearean the most like literally whenever the ravens at least recently have been in games like this it feels like whenever the drama starts to tilt and it starts to feel a little wwe then it's like oh fuck they're gonna lose like they don't win games like this and especially you have mcsorley out there third down and like seven or something goes to take a read option and he does something to his knee. So prayers up to our boy Trace who looks solid tonight. I think, you know, kind of did what he had to do. Um, but he, you know, maybe has that injured knee and you got like a fourth and seven. They're about to cut to commercial and it's like, holy shit, they're going to have a fourth and seven and they're going to have to run Sam cook out there. And Steve Levy is just like, and here comes Lamar running on it. It's like, what the fuck is going on? And then he comes out there. We, uh, by the way, five, Fourth and yeah, so fourth and a commercial break, which by the way was, you know, (laughs) maybe the longest commercial break I can ever remember. That's probably my own bias and my own adrenaline that was kind of taking over, but uh, I could not bear that weight. Comes out next play on fourth and five, scrambling to the right. He could have easily run for the first down, which, like, by the way, that's been my narrative is he needs to start taking those a little more. I'm glad he didn't take this one, uncorks the, the long touchdown to Hollywood Brown for the. Redemption play, and uh, as you mentioned, three straight games with a touchdown for him. And with that, we bring an end to our 2020 wrapped holiday highlights package that I'm putting together here for you guys. Uh, Almost two hours of uh, content that I went back through 
divvied up uh, for your listening pleasure, for my own pleasure, really, too, to go back and uh, look back on some of the highlights of uh, what I think, weirdly, is uh, one of the best years of my life. Um, hopping in here and uh, doing this thing, you know, starting it up back in 2019, fully rounding it into the form that it is and kind of getting it to the path where I want it to be. I think we're on the right track with it. And uh, I think this year was a big step forward in that. I really appreciate all you guys listening and all your help. Uh, obviously, I appreciate Spencer. I fucking couldn't do this thing without him. He is an absolute rock star, and I love him to death. I uh, love my guys, Voss and Kyle, who uh, obviously hop on here every now and again and uh, are sort of producers behind the scenes in their own ways. And uh, shout out to Walton West, who over at Flock Talk, those guys do a nice job. So uh, really appreciate everyone involved in this podcast in whatever capacity, whether you're one of the people I just mentioned that uh, have helped me out with it um, or are a, a direct part of it, or if you are a, a listener because you guys uh, – you know, this whole thing doesn't happen without you. So appreciate you. Love you. Hope you guys have yourselves a tremendous uh, holiday season. I'll probably be talking to you again um, uh, for the episode later this week. I'm not sure what the recording schedule is going to be, uh, partially because I'm recording this well ahead of the release. This is, uh, again, being recorded uh, the Monday of Christmas week. So this is going to be releasing a Wednesday uh, the week after. So uh, we'll see what happens as far as all that goes. But uh, in the meantime, Really hope you guys enjoyed listening back to this. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, if you did, you can find me at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can find the show at Podcast Beatdown. Spencer's at is Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four. Like I said, thank you guys for listening. Have yourselves a uh, safe and happy New Year's Eve. Um, don't go too crazy. Don't don't go uh, don't go mob in uh, big gatherings or anything like that. Just you know, play it low key. Have yourself a good time, and uh, let's ring in a new and hopefully better year in 2021 in the coming couple days. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.